Two. Okay. Ruth 2, let me read verses 1 through 7. Ruth is going to go glean in the field of Boaz, and Boaz is going to ask who Ruth is. Well, who is this uh, Ruth who has come here? But verses 1 through 7, Ruth 2. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to, to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in a field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to his reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers answered and said, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And he said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Then she came and has remained from morning until noon, and she has been sitting in the house for a little while. Okay, now we're going to be introduced to a new character right here in verse 1. We are introduced to Boaz. And we are told that Boaz was a kinsman of Naomi's husband. And he is described as a man of great wealth. Now look at that phrase in your translation in verse 1. Do any of you have anything significant than man of great wealth there? Worthy man. What was that? Worthy man. Worthy man. Worthy man. It is the term that's used later of Ruth describing her as a virtuous woman in chapter 3, verse 11. So, worthy man. Anybody else? I've got a footnote for mighty or valiant man. Yeah. Generally, when these two words are used together, it talks about someone being a military or war hero. Generally, that's the use of the term, but that doesn't seem to fit in this particular case, and it's generally used to describe his, his, probably his high social standing generally. And you say, well, what difference does it make? At the end of chapter 1, we saw Naomi's emptiness. She said, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. She's empty. Boaz is full. And throughout the course of the book, the emptiness of Naomi is going to come in touch with the fullness of Boaz and be a blessing to Naomi. But right now we're simply introduced to him as a kinsman of her husband, as a man of great wealth. And then the Bible tells us about Ruth. She is the Moabitess. Now I stated the other day, I didn't give you the passages, but but Ruth is described as being from Moab, 
I think, seven times in the book. And she is described as being a Moabitess six or seven times in the book. All these passages, uh, or I, I, these are just times that Moab is mentioned. And most of the times it deals with Ruth. Uh, here in uh, one, one, Moab was mentioned. They go there in the time of famine. 2 6, 6, 22, and 4 3. Here are times that Moab is mentioned. Outside of that first one, all of them deal specifically with Ruth. And the fact she is a Moabitess is stated in 1 4. 122, 2 2, 6, 21, 4 5, and 4 10. Her being a foreigner is a key part of this story. And I think it shows you, too, it shows you a side of Israel that people might not expect. Uh, People like Rahab, when they married into Israel, if they adopted Israel's faith, that was no issue. When God told Israel, don't intermarry with the nations, it is not a racial or ethnic thing. It is a moral and spiritual thing. You don't want to marry people who do not share your faith in the one true God. But there's none of that stigma attached to Ruth because Ruth has affirmed her faith and taken vows in his name in 1 in verse 17. But she says, I want to go out and glean after one in whose sight I may find favor. Now, this idea of Finding favor in someone's sight is going to reappear a couple of other times in Ruth 2. So, so pay attention to that. And she said, go, my daughter. Now in his excellent commentary on the book of Ruth, Hubbard makes this striking statement. That to try to eke out for these two widows, to try to eke out a living via gleaning was like someone today trying to make a living by collecting aluminum cans <laughs> alongside the road. And this is not a great prospect. And yet even going out into the field, Ruth risks some danger. But she tells Naomi, I want to go out and glean. And Naomi gives her her blessing. Go, my daughter. Maybe Naomi is too old to do that on a regular basis. Now of all the places she could end up, she just happens to come to Boaz Field. And... Uh, by the way, and this is not to be overly critical, because they did a great job with what they had to work with in their day. But if you read the old King James in this verse, it's going to leave you pretty confused. In Ruth 2, in verse 3, and so you can make a note of that, but she happened to... I, I forgot how it says it. I forgot. But here, she happened to come to this portion of field. 
this is talking about something from a human perspective that looks like chance. But we will know from God's perspective that it is all part of His design. Can it be that things that we just, people we run into and events that we experience by chance may all fall within the providence of God? Certainly that's the case here. And I think we're given a hint of that in the next verse when Boaz comes to Bethlehem and he greets his workers and says, May the Lord be with you. And they say to him, The Lord bless you in verse 4. So they're invoking the Lord's name, the Lord who we will eventually see at work in the events that were described in verse 4. And the Bible tells us in verse 5 that Boaz said to his servants when he comes back, he says, whose young woman is this? Now, I want you to try to look at that objectively. And sometimes I look at that and I think, oh, Ruth has caught his eye from the very beginning. She has, but I don't know if in a romantic way. I don't know if that means that he has any kind of attraction. But he knows those he has hired to work in the field. And he knows that she's not normally there. And this might be a face that he hasn't seen around town. And he's wondering to himself, this young woman is this? So I don't think we have to infer that he has any kind of interest in Ruth by this question. But... The servant answers, the servant in charge of the reapers said, she's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. You notice this mentions both Ruth being a Moabitess and the fact that she is from Moab. It couldn't be emphasized more. If you're a Moabite girl, we're better to come from than Moab. But it couldn't be emphasized any more strongly that she is a Moabite. And she had asked permission to glean. In verse 7, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and remained from the morning until now and has been sitting in the house for a little while. So she asked permission to do this. And we want to talk about verses that deal with gleaning in just a moment. But it says, she has been sitting in the house for a little while. How do your other versions treat the end of verse 7? Sitting in the house for a little while. What do some other versions say? Except for a short rest. It says what? Except for a short rest. Except for a short rest, but it, does it say house or booth or it, it doesn't say, okay, okay. Except for a short rest, okay. Uh, do any of them have like booth or stuff for house? Resting hut. Resting hut. I would think that that, I, I don't think this is probably a full-blown house that she's going into, but probably some kind of thing for the workers. But... Uh, there are a couple of there. Um, this is, believe it or not, the biggest translation difficulty in the book of Ruth. Where she's going, uh, which makes us feel whether she's going to a house, a tent for a little while. What, what is what is all being meant here? That should make us feel pretty secure about the text of the book of Ruth. But the Moabites 
were descendants of whom? Lot. And that goes back to Genesis 19, 37, and 38. They were descendants of Lot. And they should have been gracious to Israel. We find in Deuteronomy 2, verses 1 through 19, God doesn't let Israel invade the land of Moab or Ammon or, or the land of Edom because God has given these lands to the Edomites, uh, the descendants of Esau, the Moabites and Ammonites are descendants of Lot. Because of their relationship to Israel, they are blessed. And yet generally in the Bible, uh, they are viewed as hostile toward Israel. But this is a pleasant story, obviously, of uh, one from Moab who surrenders her heart and herself to God and to His ways. Now, there are a few passages on gleaning that provide a background for what is being done here. I'll ask you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 24, but I'll write up a few. In Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10, you gleaned the corners, you left the corners of your field unharvested. And you leave these for the poor and to the um, widow and orphan and alien among you. Leviticus 23 verse 22 says the same thing very briefly. The reason I ask you to turn to Deuteronomy 24 is because I think Deuteronomy 24 is the most extensive of these statements on gleaning. Deuteronomy 24 in verses 19 through uh, 22. And let's look at what the text says. The Bible says, When you reap your harvest in the field and have forgotten to take a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now, there's a little difference of emphasis. Here, there is a particular part of the field that is not harvested. The corners of the field that is not harvested. Here, it is when you miss something, don't go back and get it. They had paid workers who would have been the reapers that are mentioned in Ruth 2. If they were to miss something, they were not to go back to get it, but to give it to the alien, orphan, or the widow, or let them be able to come and glean it. And the Bible says if you do this, the Lord will bless you. If you are gracious to the needy and gracious to the poor, the Lord will be gracious to you. What he applies in verse 19 to a sheaf in the field, he applies to the olives in verse 20 and to the grapes in verse 21. In verse 20, when you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. 
And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore I am commanding you to do this thing. Now why should they be motivated to show compassion for those who do not have? Because they were slaves. It doesn't mention here they were delivered by God. But obviously that is implied. You were slaves. God has had mercy upon you in your slavery, which by the way is mentioned, I don't know how many times in the book of Deuteronomy, but all kinds of times. So you're to remember those who are poor, those who are aliens and orphans and widows. And another thing, a motivation, is this will not lead to poverty, but this will lead to blessing. The Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. But I want you to think about it just a second. A reaper goes out into the field. Or excuse me, a gleaner goes out into the field. They get behind the reapers. The reapers have first priority. The reapers would have been paid employees of the person who owns the field. In this case, Boaz. He leaves a certain portion of the field, a certain portion of the field for gleaners like Ruth, but she is also following along if they miss an olive or a grape, or in this case, barley, because that's what's under discussion in Ruth, then she can pick it. Do you imagine if they were paid reapers in the field, they missed very much. I just don't imagine that they did. And that's one of the reasons why Hubbard would say this is comparable to trying to eke out a living via collecting aluminum cans. It's just, it is not a way to make a living. It is a way to survive for a difficult moment. And I want you to see as the story unfolds, that this is what the law required. Boaz is going to go above and beyond anything the law states. He is going to do not only this, but he is going to go out of his way repeatedly to ensure that Ruth is well provided for. So he certainly appears as a noble picture in the midst of this time. But what questions on verses 1 through 7? Um, when I was teaching this to the little kids, I had them decide um, how big the corners were. Um, because, and, I mean, and that's because you could, you could, you know, say oh, just this little bit here is a corner or you could say this whole thing is a corner and depending on the generosity of the owner and and so and it which would you prefer it to be well that depends on which side of the if you were the gleaner or if you're the and you know, if you're following behind or if you're storing in barn and realistically think about this too if you were a man who owned the field and you saw for years that corner go unharvested. Would you tend to make the corner smaller or bigger? 
And, and I imagine in a lot of cases that probably happened. Uh, and it, Ruth catches his attention right away because here's somebody he doesn't know out here gleaning. I, I don't know how many people were out there working in this field. And so, uh, you know, I, I understand your question, Sarah. Very good question. Later Jewish law did designate a certain portion. And, and I'm forgetting exactly the amount that they designated. But there was a certain amount to try to make that kind of standard and not just leave it to the subjective interpretation of, of the reader. But I want you to see Boaz's kindness to here. He, Ruth goes to glean. Boaz asks who she is. But now Boaz is going to invite Ruth to stay in his field. Gleaners came. But I don't imagine gleaners were invited very often. And look at verse 8. Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which you reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from, from what the servants draw. Now, let's talk about this here. We've seen who Ruth is. We have seen what Boaz was required to do. But Boaz goes above and beyond in his showing mercy to Ruth. First of all, he invites Ruth invites Ruth to glean in his field. Don't go anywhere else. Somehow I don't imagine gleaners hurt that too often. I don't want you to go anywhere else. Don't go anywhere else. I want you to stay right here. Also, he gives her... Well, first let's say he commands the men not to touch her. Now, does that mean... It could mean that sometimes there were arguments between people and gleaners and that gleaners would not get the best of that between the reapers and gleaners, particularly if it was these men versus versus a woman. But it could be that. It could be, too, that there was always the danger of attack in certain fields. Certainly, that's what Ruth seems to, or Naomi seems to say to her later uh, in verse uh, in verse uh, 21 and 22, uh, if it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she's going to be safer here. And he gives her access to the water. Now, gleaners probably had to provide their own water. Uh -oh. 
probably. I mean, why? Yeah, of course they did. They had to provide their own. Have to provide their things, and they're not going to be provided this by management. And okay, here your gleaner. Okay, here's your water. It's not. It's you don't drink at all. Ruth is given access to the water. Hey, I know these things are things that we are so blessed to walk over to the sink when we are thirsty and there water comes out. We had the last congregation that we were at. A man who was a prince in Nigeria. He made decisions from Florida and sent them over there via internet. He would go visit three or four times a year. But early in our time at the congregation, he was saying they were trying to dig a well because they had to walk seven miles to draw water and to carry it back. And several donated just individually. And he was so thrilled when they got a well. And he said, some of the people are so excited, they don't know what to do. They're taking a bath every night. <laughs> and he was talking about the great things, great accomplishment. And of course, he lived in America, but he knew over there that was a great accomplishment. And look at the kindness and the mercy that Ruth is being shown. And she's overwhelmed. In verse 10... She fell on her face, as some people would do before a king. And she, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Now that statement, why have I found favor in your sight, is also a statement used in some context in the Old Testament when approaching a king. So, so she's approaching Boaz as if he were a king, but in a certain sense, he's king of this field. He's king of this domain. And she fell on her face. Why have I found favor in your sight? First of all, um, why uh, finding favor in your sight. She hoped to go out and glean in 2-2. In one whose sight she could find favor. And now here in 2.10, she has found who that is. And then in verse 13, it will again, the phrase will be used. I have found favor in your sight. But I, I'm, she recognizes her lowly position. And so she is overwhelmed with mercy. Mephibosheth responds this kind of way to David in 2 Samuel 9. He knew his father, or his grandfather actually, Saul, had tried to kill David. It was typical when a new king came and the old family was of another king, you just wiped out all the males. You did that when there was no threat that any of them tried to take the throne. That generally happened. How much more so when Saul tried to kill David? David summons Mephibosheth. I think Mephibosheth is scared to death. First thing David says to him is, Don't be afraid. Mephibosheth says, He falls before him and says, Why have I as a dead dog 
found such favor in your sight. Doesn't use, I don't think he uses those exact words, find favor, but he does speak of himself as a dead dog. Because he understands that he could be sentenced to death. He is overwhelmed with mercy. And again, only as we realize our lowliness and His greatness will we appreciate the depth of mercy He has shown us. Only as we see the great gulf between ourselves and God. In verse 11, He answers her question and says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and the land of your birth and came to a people you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed you've spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not as one of your maidservants. So Boaz, when she says, why have I found such favor? I am a foreigner. He says, you left your mother and father. You left your mother and father, and you the land of your birth and came to a people you didn't know. Now, it seems like there's a story in the Bible. Go forth from your country and from your father's house. Hmm. Do you see the similarity between Abraham's call and what's said about Ruth? Abraham's call is in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Leave your country, leave your kin, leave your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you. She has left her house, her mother and father's house. She has left her country. She has come to a people that she did not know. And God's promises to Abraham, by the way, say, In you all nations will be blessed. Ruth is a living illustration of that. God is blessing people from all nations through these promises to Abraham. But the same kind of vocabulary used to describe God's call of Abraham, a lot of it is picked up here in this passage. You have left your mother and father. She clung to Naomi back in 1.14, but she left her mother and father. That's the word used in Genesis 2.24 as well. You leave your father, father and mother, cleave to your wife. She has left father and mother and go to a people that you didn't know. And Boaz recognizes, and apparently all the people recognize, that she has put her full trust in God Verse 12 is a beautiful verse. You know, it's, it's sometimes you can remember conversations with people and the first time that you came to appreciate this verse, and I do remember the first time I came to appreciate Ruth 2.12 when I was 18 and uh, an interaction with a, a friend from back home. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full 
from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you come to seek refuge. Um, seeking refuge. Her refuge was ultimately in God, under God's wings. Now, let me just ask you a question that I hope some of you will be able to answer right off. Generally in the Bible, when you see that type of phrase, taking refuge under God's wings, you will be in the book of Psalms. Psalms. Very good. Very good. Um, And here are some passages where you see that. Psalm 17 and verse 8. Psalm 36 and verse 7 of Psalm 57, 1, 60, 61, 4, 63, 7, 91, 4. All of these passages speak of taking refuge under the wings of God. Now, I want to also tell you that this is basically, it's a blessing that Boaz is pronouncing. It is a prayer, too. And I told you to look for something. That in the book of Ruth, often the people who make prayers like this will be a part of God's answer to their prayer. And this is going to be the case here. Going to be a part to God's answer to this prayer. And she says, I found favor in your sight, for you've comforted me, and you've indeed spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not one of your maidservants. Um, So she is just overwhelmed that she has found comfort. You've spoken kindly to me. You've spoken kindly. Same word we had back in Genesis um, 19 verse 3, where the Levites spoke kindly to the concubines. And it's the same word in Hosea 2.14 as Hannah pointed out about God alluring Israel and speaking kindly to her and seeking to bring her back into a relationship with Him. What questions do you have on 8 through 13? The phrase fully reported. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, so is this just like so well known that once once his servant says, oh, that's Ruth, you know, the Moabitess from Moab, her. Then he's like, oh, I know everything, as opposed to him like going and, and investigating the matter. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Now you did leave out one phrase though, return with Naomi. <laughs> so, and, and you know that, you know, if, if, if he doesn't know, that seals the deal, you know, because... So, but yes, I, I think apparently, and, and again, Bethlehem was small. Bethlehem was probably a tight-knit community. And word gets around fast. And so I, I don't think Boaz has to investigate any of this. He may not have seen Ruth, but I imagine he's heard the story. And sometimes, too, have you ever heard a story about someone you think, you know what, man, I, I hope I meet that person someday. And then you meet them. And so that story gives you some information. I think that's the way it is here, Sarah. I think that's the way it is. Any other thoughts? Now we haven't finished our list over here yet. 
Boaz going above and beyond, and we're about to add some points to it. Okay, look at verse verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not insult her. Also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the evening, she gleaned in the field until evening and then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. Okay? First of all, Boaz invites her to eat with him. How many of you on your first day of work were invited to eat with the president of the company? Okay. Now if you were a gleaner, this really probably didn't happen. And he, he invites Ruth to eat. And, and, and I want you to look at this wording. Look at this wording here. He served her. She's a gleaner. She is nobody. It is the owner of the field who is serving her instead of her serving him. Yeah, it's one thing to be I've heard of situations kind of like that where somebody was invited to eat with somebody high up. And they said, hey, yeah, we needed you to serve. I didn't hear of that before. They didn't find that out until they'd already told their friends, you know, look at this chance I've got. Um, he is serving her. Now, I want you to look at a couple of phrases here. And um, we're going to erase some of this board. But it says, she ate, she ate, and was satisfied. Ate and satisfied. That is a statement to Israel. Those two words are used together. When Israel was to come into the land, you will eat and you will be satisfied. It is used in Psalm 22 and verse 26. At the end of that Psalm 22, after that is in the praise portion of the psalm, and in Joel 2, verse 26, after he talks about the blessings that will come if the people truly repent. She ate and she was satisfied. This is a phrase used to what for how Israel would find fulfillment in the land of Canaan. And now you find this Moabite girl coming and wandering the field and she ate and she was satisfied and she ate. We're tying that verb uh, here with that uh, again. But she ate and has some left over. That is also used to describe a great abundance when those people came to Elisha and he said set this bread before them 
and they ate and they had some left over. It's also used in 2 Chronicles 31 verse 10 for how the people gave abundantly in the days of Hezekiah. So, so I'm pointing out all these phrases are talking about her satisfaction and her abundance. She left that. She left for that field. She left for that field that day, and I doubt she had lunch pack. And she's eating with him. He's serving her, and she is fully provided for. Now we haven't reached the end yet. In verses 15 and 16, he tells her. He tells her. He tells uh, Ruth. Or no, he doesn't. He tells the men after Ruth has left. The other servants after Ruth has left. He says, first of all, don't rebuke her. She gets a little bit excited and she gets ahead of herself. Don't rebuke her. And I'll put it this way, and I don't know if this is the best way to word it. Make sure you miss something for her. Make sure you miss it. Make sure, pull it out and leave it behind. I don't know what the best way to word it is. But the point is, she is not only going to get what's left over, they're going to make sure to leave some things over where she can get them. He is not just doing the least. He, like the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, is going above and beyond the call of duty here. Now, all of this too, think about how this ties in with the picture bigger picture of the Bible. Go ahead and tell me what you were saying on the way to services this morning, Christy. Um, I was just wondering about some of the connections with Jesus and wondering about uh, even dipping the piece of bread in the vinegar mm -hmm. with Judas. Um, uh, obviously feeding the Jesus, Jesus takes it a step greater Boaz is feeding one who is grateful. Judas, Jesus is feeding one who is ungrateful. It's going to do him great harm. And I thought about too, even back in verse 9, when you're thirsty, you go to the water jars with John 4. Yeah. Offering That's right. Very good. Very good. And, and, and we're just touching on the surface there because... We're not going to get to explore fully here about Jesus and his fulfillment of this. But she takes home to she takes home to Naomi about the end of the day an ephah of barley. This is what Hubbard stated in his commentary that an ephah of barley probably in our uh, United States pound system about 29 pounds. That's a good day gleaning. I mean, there's something, there's a statement from the ancient Near East where if you worked in the field today, how much you could hope to accomplish. It was nowhere close to this. I mean, she's coming home, and, and <laughs> Naomi cannot believe her eyes when she comes in. And in verse 18, she took it up and went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She took it out and gave what she had left over after she ate and was satisfied. So she she was satisfied. She she ate some she she took some away. So she had some left over. She brings that back to Naomi first. Then Naomi sees all 
that she has gleaned. And in verse 19, her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today and where did you work? And may he who took notice of you be blessed. That word took notice is the same word take notice in verse 10. That you should take notice of me that I'm a foreigner. Same word verse 19. May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to his daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. Again, Naomi said to him, to her, This man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. But she says, May she just sees this amount that she brings home. May he who took notice of you be blessed. And she she built her sentence up so that the name of Boaz appears last. She's keeping him in, keeping her in suspense to reveal the name of the person who was so kind. It's Boaz. And says, May he be blessed of the Lord, who has not left off his loving kindness to the living and the dead. Now, who is it who hasn't left off his loving kindness to the living or the dead? It could be that it's, it's, it's God. And it could be Boaz. Either one of those fit the grammar and fit the context. And both, both of them are true. But, but I, I, I don't know which really, uh, in a bigger picture of the Bible, you would say the Lord. But it could be a reference to, to Boaz in this particular case. And that may not have to be mutually exclusive. But Naomi said, he's one of our relatives. And Ruth talks about, in verse 21, then Ruth the Moabite said, furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Not only did he bless me like this today, which probably would have provided for a long time, there's promise of more. Stay close to my servants until they finished all my harvest. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. She lived with her mother-in-law. Barley harvest was first. Wheat harvest followed. During both of these times, she stays with her mother-in-law. Now, I want to introduce something, and we're not going to pursue this fully, and this is kind of tied in with Christy's questions. You can be thinking as we are stating, you can be thinking as we go throughout, um, as we go throughout the book, how is Jesus foreshadowed in the book of Ruth? But I will tell you, a big part of that is in a key word in the book. The Bible says that Boaz is one of our closest relatives. But that is the term redeemer or kinsman redeemer. It is used in the Old Testament 105 times. It is used in Ruth 22 times. It will be particularly prominent when we get to Ruth 4. This is the first time it's been used in 220. 
But in chapter 3, it will be used in 9, verse 9, verse 12 a couple of times, and verse 13 three times. In chapter 4, it is going to be used... In, chapter, in verse 4, it will be used five times. And in verse 6, it will be used five times. And then verse 8 and verse 14. Pay attention to that word, okay? And think about, this is one thing to think about. What were the responsibilities of the kinsman redeemer? Okay. And how does this fit the picture of the book? Lord willing, as I stated, I'm going to be away um, Wednesday night at Vacation Bible School in Texas. Lord willing. Um, all of you probably need to text Brad at the end of the day, tell him where we are, and tell him that he is teaching. He, he, um, uh, he told me he was going to be at his father's today worshiping and I told him I'd tell him where he was but it may help if everybody does so thank you